the bell choir was practicing this morning and I was standing in the foyer and someone came up to me and says, I sure like to hear your dinglings. <clears throat> I like to hear them too. This last week has uh, been a long week with the meetings each night. We've been having, uh, we've had six non-Adventists that have been coming to the meetings. We've had uh, five inactive members that have been coming to the meetings. The Lord has blessed us. I got laryngitis in the middle of the week. Preachers hate laryngitis. They can take anything else, but you take away their voice and they're shot. And luckily, Paul was able to stand in and for me and have the prayer while I ran the equipment up there, but the devil didn't like what he was hearing, and he messed up the equipment. And so our new uh, DVD player is not working right, and I had to bring in my own DVD player last night to, to get things going, but the Lord still blesses. And then you have, with Lawrence being sick, the whole week, and then his death, and then... Uh, you also have uh, Marsha's birth of her new baby this week, and Burton's dad is in the hospital this week, and and lo and behold, right in the midst of all of this, my wife is with our daughter and son-in-law and two grandsons. They went out camping, so I've been here by myself. Don't you feel sorry for me? Yeah, I only heard one yeah. I get no respect around here, do I? No. See? Just for that, I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Second Chronicles, chapter 29. Second Chronicles in the Old Testament, chapter 29. I just hope my voice holds out through all this. Second Chronicles, chapter 29. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. about a familiar person that a lot of times is preached about, but I'm not going to preach about him for very long here. Just kind of as an introduction. Second Chronicles chapter 29, beginning with verse 1. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. Hezekiah. He was a faithful follower of God. Not too many of the kings would be classified as faithful followers. In fact, in the book 2 Kings, the Bible tells us that Hezekiah held fast to the Lord and he did not depart from following him. That, that says a lot about a person, that in his life he, he followed the Lord and, and didn't depart from the ways. He spent most of his 29 years as king restoring and uplifting the spiritual meaning of the temple service. And after his death, his oldest son, 
Manasseh took over as king. What's, and that's not unusual except for the fact that Manasseh, when he took over, was 12 years old. Look at Second Chronicles chapter 13, or chapter 33, I mean, Second Chronicles 33, beginning with verse 1. Look at the difference now between father and son. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah his father had broken down. He raised up altars for the, the Baals and made wooden images, and he worshipped all the host of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Also he caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Hinnon. He practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft and sorcery, and consulted mediums and spiritualists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house and in Jerusalem which I have chosen out of all the tribes of the Israel, I will put my name forever, and I will not again remove the, the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed for your fathers, only if they are careful to do all that I have commanded them according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. So Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. He's not like his father. His father was bringing all of the spiritual meaning back into the temple service, and then when Manasseh became king, you would think that a 12-year-old, but even the years afterwards, that uh, some of the good would, run off, would rub off onto his son from his dad. But Manasseh did everything that he could to destroy what his dad had put together. Some of us know what that's like. That we raise our children in a spiritual home. We teach them. We carefully train them. We send them to our schools. We worship at home. We, we pray together as a family. Only to have them when they get a little older and get out on their own to depart from everything that we've ever taught them to do. To do things that we would never ever think of doing in our own homes. To have them rebel against, against our whole spiritual life and to do things that just are almost unspeakable. It makes you cringe. You love them. You want the best for them. But boy, they sure are living a life that is unlike what they've ever been taught to live in their younger lives. Manasseh worshipped idols. Uh, 
tried talking to the dead through witches and sorcerers. When it was talking about his sons going through the fire of the valley, the son of Hinnon, he was sacrificing his sons, killing them, his own sons. He put to death innocent people who challenged what he was doing. It's recorded in 2 Kings that Manasseh filled Jerusalem with innocent blood. We don't know for sure, but tradition tells us that Manasseh had the prophet Isaiah sawn in half. So what does God do now? Everything that had been built up and then people to get back into worshiping the, the true God and the meaning of the service and now everything is destroyed. If you was God, what would you do? Send fire down out of heaven? Zap him? He continued this reign for 55 years. Let's take a look at what the Lord does. He does things differently than we do. Second Chronicles chapter 33, now look at verse 11. Therefore the Lord brought upon them the captains of the army of the Assyria who took Manasseh with hooks, bound him with bronze fetters, and carried him off to Babylon. Notice that God allowed Manasseh to be captured by his enemies and drug him off into the Babylonian prison system. You might sit there and say, you know, he deserves every bit of it. But what if he was his parent? What if that was your son? How would you feel? How would that make you feel to see them carrying your son off and to be thrown into prison? You know, sometimes our children can drift far away from God's ways. They begin to live a lifestyle different from the way God desires His people to live and the way we as parents want our children to live. Manasseh still worshipped in the temple, but he was not worshipping the way that God instructed he had other ideas how he wanted to worship and how it should be conducted the attractions of the world meant a lot to Manasseh the money the power the prestige I want to do things in my own way is what ruled him and he begins to crowd out the God of heaven out of his life but not only that, he affects the lives of other people and he begins to crowd God out of their life as well too. The talents that God had given to him were neglected and misused. And sometimes with our own children, the talent that God has given to them is neglected and misused. The spiritual life looks pretty boring to them when they're used to the excitement of the world that is around them. 
And soon they live a life that says, I have no need for God. I can handle things myself in my own way. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. I have a son that says, I have no need of religion within my life. And that tears your heart out. But then it says here with Manasseh that the Lord allowed him to be taken away and imprisoned. Sometimes with our own children, God allows some type of imprisonment to spin this person out of control. It may not be actual jail time. It could be a, a situation where financially they're falling to pieces. It could be their health is falling to pieces. It could be any kind of situation for them where they feel helpless and hopeless. And what do you do? <clears throat> Manasseh became imprisoned in a heathen jail. He soon realized when he was in this jail that his riches couldn't get him out of prison. Wasn't any amount of money that could get him out. Or he would have gladly paid for it. He once had this monarch power that he had control of the armies and all he had to do was say something and the armies would come in and take over. But now he didn't have that power. The armies wouldn't come in and save him. He went into the temple and instead of worshiping a true God, he began to worship the idols of all the heathen that were around him. And now he discovered that his idols couldn't get him out of prison. He used to contact the dead. He used to go to the witches. Why couldn't they put a spell on these people? Why couldn't the, the dead come in and take them out and, and, and give him the power he needed? He found out. That it didn't do a bit of good. The things of life that he desired, the people that he manipulated and took advantage of, at this particular time was worthless when he came into his time of great trouble. Manasseh found himself hopeless and helpless. And God allowed him to get that way, get into that situation. And do you know why? He allows all of us to go through situations in life to help bring us to our senses so that we might change and begin to trust in the true God. And after the years of controlling his own destiny and living a life apart from God, he now crumbles into a heap of weakness and does the only thing that he knows what to do. Now let me back up for a second. Let's go back as a parent. God is allowing this to take place so that he can learn a lesson in life. But sometimes we as parents, because we love them so much, that when they get into a situation such as this, 
when, in, when the, what they do is they come and they ask, Mom, Dad, you've got to help me. You've got to help me get out of this situation. And what we tend to do as parents is that we tend to jump in to try to rescue our children when God is trying to wake them up. Sometimes we jump in and, and, and I have seen parents who have actually put a second mortgage on their homes in order to bail their children out of jail uh, because of the, the drug situation that they find themselves in. This keeps going in and out. Let's, let's switch to this one. I've seen situations where family members will do just about anything in order to try to rescue their son or their daughter out of the situation that they find themselves in. Even I've seen them go and buy, actually buy drugs, keep them on their habits of drugs so that they won't be upset. I've seen Christian moms and dads enable their, their children who are out of control in order to try to keep them happy. We don't want them to get discouraged. But maybe what we're doing as parents is that we're intervening into a situation that God is allowing them to go through and we're trying to rescue them from what God is trying to teach them. I had a church member one time, her son was busted for possession of marijuana, was taken in and put in jail. She called me up and she says, I've got to find enough money to bail him out. Our credit is so bad, can the church help? Can, can you help us supply money to get my son out? I said, no. Her mouth dropped open. You can't expect my son to stay in jail, can you? And I said, yes. She said, why? I said, because God's trying to teach your son a lesson. She didn't want to hear that. To make a long story short, eventually he got out of jail. And he came to me and he said, thank you. I said, thank you for what? He said, for not bailing me out. He said, my parents have been bailing me out for years and years and years and I keep going back. And I finally got to a point that when I was in that jail and no one was bailing me out, I dropped to my knees and said, Lord, what am I going to do? Manasseh got to that point, Second Chronicles 33, beginning with verse 12. Now when he, that was Manasseh, was in affliction, that's when he was in his jail, he implored the Lord his God. Here's the God he's been mocking all these years, and now he comes and he's praying and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, 
and prayed to him, and he received his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him back to Jerusalem into his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Sometimes we don't learn until we go through the school of hard knocks and our power and our money and our prestige and everything that we have relied on in the past is of no avail. It's all gone. It's not there. We get angry. But when it's gone, what do we do? We drop to our knees. Manasseh humbled himself before God and he prayed to the only God who could save him. I'd like to think that he finally remembered his, his father's spiritual teachings and returned to the God of his childhood. In some cases that's true and that does happen. What we have to remember is that God is a God of a second chance. He doesn't give up on our children. When they're going through some rough times, He's right there with them. He hasn't given up on them. In fact, He's trying to reach them. And sometimes we jump in and mess up what God is trying to do. Manasseh was a person whose life had been a complete moral and spiritual disaster and he got a second chance from God. And with this second chance, he spent the rest of his life attempting to lead his people back to God instead of away from God like it was beforehand. It's time that maybe we as parents quit trying to be gods to our children and let the true God be the God that can lead them back. Here's another thing that can happen to those of us who feel that we are good Christians. Somewhere along the line, we've picked up the silly notion that once we give our hearts to the Lord, we won't ever need a second chance. Everything is okay. But in our Western culture, we live a life where we make our own decisions. And so in our own way, we tend to tell God what we want Him to do in our prayers. Instead of saying, thy will be done, we say, no, God, here's what I want. Here is my will. Here's what I want you to do. Sometimes we use our money and our power to get ourselves out of our own fixes. We worship only sometimes when it's convenient. So when things are not convenient, well, so I'll skip church for a day or two or a week or two. Sometimes we influence more people towards other things in this world, entertainment and other things that has nothing to do with spiritual life, than we do influencing them to come and to worship our God. We think that sitting in a pew on Sabbath morning is all we need to do in order to inherit everlasting life. And you really stop 
and look at yourself, you got to admit, you know, I'm not any better than Manasseh. Oh, maybe I'm not doing the evil things, but maybe I'm relying more on my power, my money, my prestige, and wanting things done my way, and I'm only going to come to God when it's convenient to do so. You better watch out. Because at some point in your life, you're going to find yourself imprisoned. Maybe not in a physical jail, but when God will allow something to take place in your life where the rug is pulled out from underneath your feet and you have nothing to stand on in your physical world. Your money is worthless. Your power is worthless. And sometimes your prayers are worthless when you're not praying for thy will be to be done. You know, sometimes when we get the, the, the rug pulled out from under us as Christians, we get this other silly notion that God has abandoned me. God hasn't abandoned us. He's right there with us. Or sometimes we pray and we say, okay, Lord, if you get me out of this fix, if you get me out of this situation, I am going to commit my life to you only to withdraw that commitment when the troubles are over and never make a change. We make promises to God but we never live up to those promises. We say, I will do this, and then when the situation is over, you go back to the old way of life. We're not any better than Manasseh. God's looking for two things. He found it in Manasseh when Manasseh was finally out of control. He's looking for a humbled heart. Lord, my life is not living up to the standards that you want me to live up to. And I admit it. And I'm wrong. And then he wants us to reach out by faith for divine deliverance. To put our hand into the hand that really has the strength And that's the God of heaven. He's the one that's in control. When we've done these two things, then we need to live a life different from what we've been accustomed to living. We're to walk humbly with our God. That means we've got to let Him lead. Peter was always the first to boast about his commitment of being willing to follow Christ. He also argued with others where he was to sit next to the throne of Jesus. He wanted to be on the right-hand side. Peter was so confident in his spiritual commitment that he carried a hidden sword to the Garden of Gethsemane in order to protect Jesus. He used that sword to strike out at the mob that was there, and so he reached out to the nearest person, but he wasn't a very good swordsman. 
He only cut off the ear of that man. But Peter was still pretty proud of himself. And he was sure that Jesus would be proud of him as well. And so Peter followed the group as they led Jesus off to go to his trial. Peter didn't realize that he was going to be imprisoned himself. Not in the jail sentence, not behind bars or in some hidden rock someplace, hidden cave, but he was going to be in that courtyard and the God of the second chance would show Peter who is really in control and who's not. Who really has power and who does not have power at all. Peter followed Jesus as they led him away from the garden. While he was sitting in the courtyard trying to blend in with the crowd and not be conspicuous at all, but proud of himself for being such a good Christian, a servant girl came up and said, you're one of the followers of Jesus, aren't you? And he said, who, me? I don't even know what you're talking about. We know the story. Two more times Peter was pointed out as a disciple of Christ and two more times, three times in all, Peter denied even knowing Jesus. And while he was in the middle of pronouncing his third curse, a rooster crowed. And he remembered the words of Jesus. Before this night is over, you're going to deny me three times. Peter always says, no, not me, Lord. I'll follow you wherever you want to go. It'll never happen to me. And it happened to him. Don't think that sitting in the church here this morning, that something somewhere's along the line that you will never ever fall away from God because it can happen to any of us. <clears throat> Peter was overwhelmed with grief. He denied Jesus. He'd expected it from the other guys, but not him. And then he looked over and he saw Jesus turn his head when that rooster crowed and turned and looked at Peter. That look on the face of Jesus caused Peter to walk out of that courtyard crying bitterly. It was Peter's imprisonment. God allowed it to happen. God even told him that it was going to happen just to be able to show out of how out of control Peter really was. Peter's tears led him to the point of repentance and to humbly say, Lord, I really have made a mistake. I denied the one person whom I believed was the Messiah. And we know that later on, after the resurrection of Jesus, Peter was not sure if Jesus would ever accept him for what he had done. He wanted to go hide. He probably wanted to kill himself. When Peter was fishing with the others, he saw someone standing on the shore and he recognized that it was, it was Jesus. Peter didn't even wait for the boat to dock. Peter jumped out of that 
fishing boat into the water. You ever tried running in water? It's not easy to do. But he tried the best he could with the strength he had to run as fast as he could to Jesus. He was ready to reach out by the hand of faith to the God of a second chance if he thought that Jesus would give him that chance. He didn't know for sure if Jesus would. And what was Jesus' response? He forgave Peter. He gave him that second chance and he sent him out with a task to share the everlasting gospel. Now this Peter who had always said he'd do anything that God ever asked him to do and then put his foot in his mouth many times, this Peter who denied knowing Jesus would be preaching now from that point on boldly in places where Jesus was tried as a prisoner. Peter, this same Peter, would be saying to the world, beat me physically if you want, lock me in your prison if you want, But I tell you what, I will never stop telling the world about God, the God of a second chance, who allowed me the second chance in life through Jesus Christ my Lord. This same Peter would be the leader of the church in Jerusalem and the writer of two books in the New Testament. His life was changed. His past was forgiven. So this morning, I want you to look at your own life. Are you like Manasseh and trying to do things in your own way and rebelling against the God of heaven, rebelling against the God that your parents have taught you about and you want to do things in your own way and you want to hear things in your own way, and if it's not going to happen, I'm not going to have anything to do with the church, and I want to run away. Or are you a parent who who keeps trying to bail out your children who are rebelling, and you keep trying to make it look like you're the God that's going to rescue them, when God is trying to reach out and to get them to change, and you keep hindering what God is trying to do? Or are you a person who is sitting here in this church who in your own way relies upon your own physical powers and your own physical uh, monetary means and your, and your own ways to worship, but you're in reality, you're just relying upon self, telling God what to do in your prayers instead of allowing Him to lead and guide in your life. Are you like Manasseh in any of those directions? Then maybe you need to allow God to imprison you. You better watch out. But He's he's going to try to do something to wake you up and to realize I need to be humbled down and to kneel before my Lord and to reach up by faith to the hand of the God that gives a second chance. Maybe today, maybe we need to fall at the feet of Jesus and commit our ways to doing His will. Maybe we need the God of this second chance. Do you feel the need to draw nearer to Jesus?
Do you feel that need that, that I've got to change some things within my life? That my life is not happy at all? Do you feel the need to come to that Savior and to reach out and grasp His hand? If so, let's stand and sing hymn number 310. 310. Forgive us, O Father, when we've lived a life like Manasseh. We can't change the past, but we can change the present and the future. 
by humbly coming before you and saying, we're sorry. We need to change. And we're willing to reach out our hand in faith and to grab yours and to live that life that you want us to live and to be that influence that you want us to be. And we're not going to allow anything to stop us. But we're going to be that bold servant for you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.